Hi, my name is Joe Bakmotsky, and welcome to Simplify Cancer Podcast. Today, I'm really excited to talk to our special guest, David Pog. He's a medical oncologist who treated me, and he's an amazing specialist, and he's a great guy too, so I think you'll get a lot out of this. So thanks for tuning in, and let's get into it. Hi, Dave. Thank you so much for doing this. I've been really looking forward to this. And please tell me about yourself. What do you do? What are you passionate about? Well, thanks for inviting me on, Joe. Um, I'm a medical oncologist with a special interest in GU cancers. So that's kidney, bladder, prostate, and testicular cancers. Um, so I trained as obviously did a medical degree. Um, and then I did physician training, specializing in medical oncology. Um, actually went off and did a higher degree. It's actually in colon cancer, different right. area but still learn some skills about clinical trials. And so at the moment, I've got a mixed practice. I do roughly half private work, um, the other half public, um, working at Monash. And um, I also spend a little bit of time at the university as well, and I do a lot of clinical trials. So, yeah, my passion is probably looking, is looking at new, new treatments for cancers, trying to push the field forward and improve on, on where we are now. Oh, fantastic. So, and what are some of the, some of the developments that um, are happening right now. I think most that, interested in. Well, the biggest. I think the biggest development that most people would say of, you know, of this decade would be the immune therapies. Um, and th- the immune therapies, um, they give us huge possibilities, and we've seen amazing results in cancers like melanomas. Um, but like most things, they provide big challenges as well. Um, so there's that potential to have amazing responses and we're seeing really nice responses in kidney cancers and in bladder cancers. Um, but the toxicity is hard to manage. We're dealing with a whole, whole load of new toxicities. This is, this is a whole new way of treating cancer. So it's completely different to the, to chemotherapy and to other treatments that we currently use. Right. Okay. And if we, if we think about, I guess, um, about opinions on cancer and, you know, you mentioned that there is all these different treatments and we've got new research coming out. In your experience, what are the most common misconceptions that people have around cancer? I think the, the most common misconception probably is that it's always preventable. So a lot of people seem to come with a bit of a sense of guilt, like what have I done? Like yep. what, what did I do wrong to get the cancer? And yep. often, or actually in nearly all cases, there's no blame. For a cancer, I mean, some things you can do can increase the risk of cancer. For example, if you smoke, you're going to increase the risk yep. of certain cancers. But a lot of cancers just come through pure bad luck. And so I think some people find that hard to deal with because it seems very unfair. What about uh, DNA and in terms of, um, you know, hereditary um, cancers? Is there anything on that front do you think that people should be concerned about? I'm not so much concerned about, but I, th- I think we're going to see huge changes in that area. We, I don't know how, over which time period. I assume within the next one to two decades. Um, the biggest thing we've seen is in the area of prostate cancer, um, where it turns out that maybe one in 10 men diagnosed with prostate cancer have an underlying problem with DNA repair. Right. Um, and then that was a finding that was, that was really unexpected. And what's made that possible or that result possible is the fact that we are much better able to interrogate DNA now, looking for mutations. So the first DNA repair um, defect was called BRCA1, B-R-C-A, stands for breast cancer, BRCA1. Soon after that came BRCA2. Up until pretty recently, it cost you 
a couple of thousand dollars to test for one of those mutations. And then really within a few years, we can now test for 14 mutations at a cost of about six hundred dollars. And I think it's a, well I think it's a bit like computing, you know, as we see yeah. as we see the ability or the, the power of the computers increase at the same time the cost goes down, we're seeing the same sort of phenomenon um, with some of these DNA testing techniques. So I don't think it's beyond the realm that um, DNA testing is going to become a lot more common. Um, it might be common for everyone. Everyone might might be tested. And from that, we might be able to get to design a better risk profile. So rather than trying to screen everyone for a particular cancer, right. we might be able to group people a little better and say, you know what, you need more intensive screening for prostate cancer, whereas you might not. Yeah. So, But again, that's going to provide a whole lot of challenges as well. Yeah, you know, yeah, you're walking around knowing that you might have some sort of genetic defect. You know, there's the, always that downside as well as the positive. Yeah, because it's, I guess it weighs heavy on your mind. Yeah, yeah, you got to get life insurance. So you know, at the moment we have we have genetic counsellors that have to talk to people about things like that. You know, yeah. if you if you if we find a gene, you've got to disclose that to a life insurance company, and you can't you can't just pretend you don't know. You have to actually tell them, yeah. and then. You know, what's the law around are they allowed to discriminate against you based on that? You know, if you've got a certain gene, can they refuse to offer you insurance? So there's all these sort of issues. factors and, and issues that yeah. need to be take, need to be um, thought about before doing this sort of testing. But I think it's going to change a lot. I, th- I think that will be one area where we – even cancers now where when we say, look, there's no genetic link, I'm not sure that 10, 20 years from now, as we test more and more genes, we don't start to find some of these links. Yeah, of course. And also, I know you've, you've talked about immunotherapy. And in, in terms of other areas, do you think what are some of the biggest changes that are happening in the medical world, in, in the world, I guess, of everything, of all the sciences supporting um, oncology? What are some of the biggest changes that are happening in terms of dealing with cancer? I think the big thing now is that the pharmaceutical companies are better able to design drugs. So I suppose the biggest change we've had sort of this century you know, you probably, you know, pre-2000, say, was that the way to discover a drug was to sort of dig around, discover a chemical, and then try and find a use for that chemical. So yeah. a lot of our chemotherapy drugs are really natural-type products. They are, you know, they're isolated from bacteria or leaves or certain, um, you know, certain organisms, and they've been modified by the companies. But a lot of our chemotherapy agents were naturally occurring substances to begin with. Right. Whereas now it's changed. The whole thing is, is done in a completely different way, which is probably more rational, which is to try and understand what drives the cancer and then, you know, find out which protein, what's the, what's the defect, what's pushing this cancer along, and then asking a pharmaceutical company to design a drug to block that particular protein. And we've seen that. We've seen designer drugs like a drug called enzalutamide, for example, in prostate cancer. You know, they knew that they needed to block something called the androgen receptor, which is where testosterone signals in prostate cancer and drives the cancer. So they designed a drug to block that receptor better than it's ever been blocked before. And so that drug makes a huge difference in prostate cancer. Well, it's fascinating to see the research that you do. So I guess um, researchers like yourself do work closely with pharmaceutical companies. Is that what happens? So, yeah, a lot of, a lot of what we do are clinical trials. Now, some of those are designed and funded by pharmaceutical companies. Um, some of them are funded by clinicians with the support of companies, and we do both. So, no, I'm also a member of an Australian trial group, ANZUP, which is an Australian trials group, um, which will do both, which will 
help design, you know, non-pharma studies. So there's a testicular study looking at um, how to deal with the anxiety of, of the diagnosis, um, which is completely non-pharma. Um, but there are also large prostate studies that are, are run through a trial group like that. But it's an independent independent group. At the same time, pharmaceutical companies will approach the hospitals directly and then we'll run pharmaceutical trials as well. The advantage of that, though, is that we can give or we can gain access to new drugs for patients before they're approved. Yeah, that's fantastic. And, and speaking of, I guess, on, on the mental um, side of cancer, you obviously deal with many patients who are you know, facing cancer right now. And what do you think are the biggest challenges for someone who is has just found out they got cancer or is facing a new diagnosis? What are they going through uh, in terms of their everyday life? I, I sometimes think you could probably answer this better than me because, I mean, you've, you've been there. Yep. Um, look, from my, from my point of view, I think you've got to deal with the psychological effects um, and I think you've got to be aware that uh, a cancer diagnosis is like a death in a family. It's, it's going to have the same sort of psychological fallout. You're going to go through those stages of grief. It takes time to deal with it. And so I think some people just need time to come to terms with what's going on. Yep. Um, then the next thing is health, I think. I mean, I mean, you, you know, um, the therapies we use are toxic therapies. So how do you maintain your health, you know, dealing with the side effects of what we do to your body to treat your cancer? Um, so I think that's a challenge as well. Um, with those toxic therapies, there's obviously the challenge of work. Um, you know, how do you work through this? And then, um, the other aspect would be, you know, your relationships, you know, with your partner, your children. Um, how, how do you, you know, while you're going through all of this stress, how do you make time to um, work on your relationships and make sure you've got that support around you as well? So it's a big challenge. Yeah, absolutely. And do you think that that most people are open about having those challenges? Do they talk to their friends? Do they talk to their family? Do they um, are they open to um, talk about cancer and all? all I guess all, how it uh, just plays on your mind and, and uh, everything to do with that. I think it's improving. Um, and I think the work done by, you know, the Prostate Cancer Foundation of Australia in Movember, I think have improved things because I think initially the women and men dealt with cancers quite differently. I think breast cancer really, people did talk about breast cancer all the time, um, yet we had prostate cancer, which, you know, similar number of people diagnosed, similar effect on um, people's health um, wasn't really talked about as much. So, I think there has been a difference between men and women, but I think it's improving. I think that men feel they can talk about this stuff a little bit more. I think people vary a lot, though. Some people really are very private. They're very worried about um, the outward signs of being diagnosed, you know, yep. give chemotherapy and you lose your hair. I mean, that tells everyone what's going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some people, that's a big problem, um, especially people that are working or they're in management roles. That, that can be that can be hard. Yeah. Um, some people just don't want to deal with the hassle of telling everyone they know. You know, if, yeah. if you don't have any hair, then if you're going to get questions. People yeah. are going to say, what's going on? Some people don't want to deal with that. They find that difficult. Um, most people I see, they seem pretty open with their partners. Though. So, um, you know, if they come in with their partners, they, they are normally pretty open with them. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes the intimacy stuff and other things, I think some people find really difficult. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And what about... What about survivors? Because I guess it's, it's a very different reality. 
Um, I know that, you know, getting regular uh, checkups and, you know, you, 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 um, especially when you get closer to the, the appointment and you're doing your tests and you're kind of thinking, well, and you're worried whether cancer is going to come back. Do you think that's a, presents a completely different challenge for people as well? Yeah, I think, and, and a lot of research has been done into survivorship, you know, how to live post diagnosis and treatment of cancer. Um, it's well known that it's hugely stressful. And it probably, I probably didn't realize that when I first started, you know, chatting, chatting about the weather and stuff with a testicular cancer patient who's waiting for their results isn't a good idea. You know, it, it, I think it's sometimes the awareness on the behalf of the doctor that how, how stressful it actually is. Yeah. So you're normally opening with, you know, it's fine. The tests <laughs> are fine. Um, yeah. And just having that awareness that people really are, re- it, I mean, it's obviously going to be provoke a lot of anxiety. I mean, there's huge implications based upon, you know, one little line of a test of a test result. So it's normal. It seems to improve with time. Um, Anne's up did do a study looking at looking at anxiety levels in testicular cancer patients after that had treatment and when they were being followed, and you did see those anxiety levels improve. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because uh, absolutely, cause cancer is c- cancer is tough to deal with mentally. Yeah, because you know you're constantly between you know, treatments or you're, you're waiting for results and words from your specialist. Do you think it's okay for people to just get angry, get frustrated, get get pissed off because they don't know how to deal with it all mentally? And and, and I guess how can you turn that around to to be more positive? Well, I think so. I mean, I think. I mean, I'm not a psychologist, but I think that most experts would say that you need to actually experience emotions. I don't think I don't think you can trying to be relentlessly positive when you're not feeling positive. I, I don't think it's going to work. And I know there's always that there's that image of you know the positive person fighting the cancer with their boxing gloves on. And I I don't think the reality it's is not like, really, is yeah. like that at all. I don't think people die of cancers because they didn't fight hard enough or they weren't positive enough. Yeah. I think I think a lot of this is out of you know, our control, the clinicians as well as, as the patients. I mean, sometimes despite the fact that everything's done properly, the cancer doesn't, it, it, you know, it doesn't respond to the treatment the way we would have hoped. So I think these emotions are all normal. I, I think that emotions have to be experienced. And I suppose it's just knowing that there's a lot of support out there if required. So if you are feeling angry or frustrated, that's okay. Um, but if you're really feeling depressed and really concerned that, look, these emotions are really becoming too much or something that you can't handle, that there is a whole support network out there. I mean, the Cancer Council is a good start. I mean, they can um, they can get you to talk with people that have, have been through cancer treatments and, can- and, and cancer diagnoses and you know, just talking to someone that's been through it um, can be helpful yep. um, or you may need professional help. You know, psychologists can talk about mindfulness and other techniques to deal with these sort of uh, strong feelings. Occasionally, some people need antidepressants and other medications if they really become depressed because of the strain. Yeah, and you, and you mentioned stereotypes. Uh, that's definitely, um, I, I guess, that's definitely still there. But hopefully, that's changing. There, you know, those stereotypes here, like you mentioned about fighting cancer, or that you know people, um, well, survivors, they you know portrayed as heroes. That you know, like that some of this, I guess, some of that those stereotypes are changing, aren't they? Yeah, and I. I don't know. I think it's probably like that a lot in life. I think that there's things that we can control and then there are things that are just completely beyond your control. And, you know, I think that if you've been diagnosed with cancer, you've got control over some of it. You know, you can keep fit. 
and you can try and eat well um, and get enough sleep and you can do everything that, you know, everything that you've been advised to do. You can turn up to the hospital if you get a fever like you've been asked. I mean, yeah, yeah. you've got control over those things. But there are other aspects where you, you don't have any control over it. And, um, yeah, I think some people really seem to portray, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure I'm, I'm thrilled with that, you know, fighting cancer with the boxing gloves type analogy. I just, I just don't think it's like that. Yeah. Because I just don't, you know, that, that's the connotation then is that if you die from cancer, you just didn't fight hard enough. And it's just not true. It's That's not fair. It's not fair. It's not true. And there's guilt involved as well, you know. Um, and the people that I've seen have died of cancer. It's not, not through lack of will. Yeah. Absolutely. And is there anything that you recommend for someone to stay in better shape, like in good shape, like mentally, physically? What would someone do? Um, I, look, I think exercise is really important. Um, especially people who are going through chemotherapy or hormone therapies for the cancers. It, it seems to really help the fatigue. Um, and we're lucky enough to have experts now um, who can design or tailor exercise programs for people with cancer. So they, you know, they're called exercise physiologists and they're university trained and they can also often have done further, um, uh, further degrees or further training with cancer. Um, and I've seen amazing results, you know, especially with men um, who are having hormone therapy for prostate cancer, for example, seeing huge differences in how people well, feel just by attending regular exercise. There's even some evidence that, you know, maybe it's got an effect on the cancer. It's, look, it's too early to say, but there are a few downsides. So it seems like a very positive thing people can do. And it's something where you, you feel like you're doing something positive. Yeah. I mean, uh, you definitely um, have given me advice to do um, daily walks. And I have to say it's been fantastic for me during chemo. Yep. And I've kept this habit um, well, up until now. I hope I keep doing it because it's really helped me. Even like yep. when my head was in a, in a fog and I was um, just really feeling really crap. Um, as I still would go and do it, and it made me feel better. So I, I definitely can say enough good things about it. Well, I think it's also got mental effects as well. I mean, and I don't feel the same as me, but, you know, if you do some exercise, that's often when you go through things in your head um, and just doing that, it seems to – I mean, I seem to get rid of ang feelings of anxiety and frustration and other things by doing something physical. So I think it's got mental effects as well. I'm sure it has. I can't believe looking at you, Dave. I can't believe you have anxiety. <laughs> so, and um, uh, we talked about that you've seen a lot of people who are battling cancer. Is there something that you know people tend to overlook? Something that could could help them deal with it better? I mean, I was you know we talked a bit about the fact that it's not a fight and being able to control things. Some things you can control, some things you can't. I suppose the other aspect is probably just being aware of anxiety, being aware of what it is, because it's not. It's not obvious sometimes, you know, and, you know, through people that you've met, anxiety comes out in different ways. You know, people express anxiety in different ways. So I suppose it's just being aware of anxiety and, and what you're like when you're anxious. You know, do you sweat? Do, do, does your heart rate go up? Do you shout at people? Like what, you know, and calling it for what it is. And if it's anxiety, looking at ways to manage that because obviously cancer treatment, cancer diagnosis is a huge source of anxiety. So I think... Managing that anxiety is incredibly important. It can often be overlooked. Yeah, and I guess like what really helped me was really talking to um, talking to my my wife, talking to uh, to my family, talking to my friends about it, and just being you know because even it wasn't easy at first. But I guess as I started to open up and and talk about being you know angry or scared, like I kind of um, realized that it's okay, and it really helped me 
to deal with it myself. Does that make sense? Yeah. It seems to be, if you, I don't know why, if you name an emotion, it seems to help. If you can actually, you can work out what the emotion is, you know, I'm anxious, it actually seems to help. So you go, oh, is that what it is? And yeah. so, you know, that's something that obviously the psychologist, um, my wife's a psychologist, so she knows a lot more about it than I do. <laughs> um, but that's something that the psychologists are very good, you know, with this mindfulness and other things they talk about. It's, that, it's just that ability to recognize feelings and thoughts and let them let them out, not try and bottle them up or not try and suppress them or fight them. Oh, uh, is there anything, any research been done uh, that you know of in terms of um, mindfulness and cancer? Not that I know. Not that I know of. I'm sure that I'm sure that there has. Not not that I know of. Um, I know there's been research done into trauma, other types of trauma. Yep. So you know, um, war veterans and other and and other groups. Um, but I'm sure that there'll be similar types of trauma experienced by people who have been through um, medical diagnoses and medical treatment. So I, I know that there are mindfulness techniques that have been shown to be very effective in those those groups. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really interesting. That's something that's definitely worth looking into. And I guess with uh, with anxiety, with you know, if 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 sometimes people feel that they want to get a second opinion, do you think? That they should do that um, to, to seek advice of someone or someone else, and if so, like, is the what is the best way to go about it? I think it's all. I think you can always ask for a second opinion if you want. Um, look, most medical oncologists in Australia, anyway, are very well trained. You should be getting pretty consistent messages um, across different groups. Um, I'd probably, it'd be interesting to ask whether or not your case had been discussed in a multidisciplinary meeting. So that means that each case is put in front of a panel. So a number of medical oncologists, surgeons, radiation oncologists, the radiology is checked, the pathology is checked. And so most large, definitely large teaching hospitals, large private hospitals will have meetings like this where each, where each case is discussed. Um, I think that's probably useful to know whether that's happened. Because yep. um, then you know that, that your doctor already has got the opinion of a panel. Um, if that hasn't happened, you know, in a smaller hospital or it hasn't happened, um, I, I don't think most doctors would be too upset with you saying, look, I'd just like to, I'd like to ask for a second opinion and I'd be upfront about it. Yep. Um, it's not a massive community, obviously. Yep. Um, so we all know each other. Um, so I think it, it, I, most doctors I don't think will be particularly upset. If you said, look, I'd just like to get a second opinion just to check that, you know, and you should be getting consistency across the two. That's what you want to get. Yeah. You don't want to get a radically different second opinion. Otherwise, you're left saying, well, what's going on here? Yeah, yeah, the exactly. idea of getting one is that you get the second doctor who says exactly the same as the first, and you go, great, okay, you know, this is this is the right treatment. Yeah, because I guess I've seen that in terms of other communities that perhaps people are not exploring enough for online communities. I've seen yeah. people who... Um, you know, frequent, frequently show up and put up a topic that says, you know, I'm scared, you know, that yep. uh, I might not be getting the right answers. Who can I talk to? So it's so, I'm definitely, like, I've definitely seen just um, online that people, some people have those concerns. So it's great that, you know, um, the, the, the people can ask for their second opinion and just know that they can get it confirmed and they don't have to worry about it. Absolutely. So if someone wanted to reach out and, and get in touch with like the services that you provide or just wanted to get help, like what would you recommend? Uh, I think so. The first step would be the Cancer Council. You know, there's cancer councils in each, in each state. They've got an excellent website. They've normally got links to 
um, links to a whole load of different resources. Um, and there are also some disease-specific um, groups. So if you have prostate cancer, for example, you the Prostate Cancer Foundation of Australia or Movember. Um, Movember now is also starting to provide support for men with testicular cancer, kidney cancer, um, looking at Kidney Health Australia. Um, so, yeah, there are a number of places where you can seek seek help. Obviously, your treating doctor should, you know, through the hospital, should have access to psychology, um, dietitians, exercise physiology. I mean, all of these should be available through most health services as well. Cool. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time today. It was a real pleasure. Pleasure. Thank you very much. 